You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. Each week, you'll hear from remarkable guests who have overcome challenges and obstacles to succeed in the face of adversity. By listening to their stories, you'll get practical tips, tools, and resources you can implement today to bust through your own internalized prisons of worry and doubt. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hi there, this is Sarah, and thank you so much for downloading this episode of the No Labels no Limits podcast, a podcast all about shedding limiting labels and beliefs so we can lead fulfilling, meaningful, and purposeful lives. We appreciate you walking alongside us on this journey of living without labels and limits. And I personally believe without a doubt, we are each capable of much more than we ever imagine. This week's episode is a continuation of our four-part series to help you get through how to right-size your 2020 strategic planning process. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about designing, specifically as it relates to data and information, which is essential for decision-making, effective agenda design, being intentional for results, and the stage to engage, thinking through your facilitation approach and team roles. So let's get started. Let me go back up and talk a little bit about the data piece. We'll start there. And I love this quote um, from W. Edwards Deming that without data, you are just another person with an opinion. This doesn't mean that you need a bunch of research data, but you do need information and data. It might be numbers and figures. It might be an internal survey document but a way of collecting something that gives you a starting point that allows you to say, here's where we are at this point in time. So when it comes to making critical decisions for your organization, uh, you know, decisions about how are we gonna respond to problems? Um, how are we gonna deal with adverse circumstances or plan for the future? You really need to have some facts and solid information. So. The importance of data in strategic planning is you want an accurate picture of the current state. You want to understand if the folks that you are serving are being served in the correct way. And you want to help predict obstacles or challenges before they, uh, before they show up. And you wanna be able when you get to that place in planning to set realistic goals for future growth and impact. So there's typically a number of strategies used for collecting data. And I'm going to talk about internal data before we talk about external data. Um, But there's a variety of ways to collect data depending on the specific nature of your work and how much time you have to work with and the kind of information you need. So remember, we're really trying to right size your strategic planning project. So if you're a university and you're working with multiple departments, you're going to collect a lot more information. If you're working as a small startup nonprofit or a small startup organization, 
you'll need fewer data points, but you will need data. So I'm gonna talk about some typical and useful strategies. There's surveys. So these can be internal or external group surveys that you issue, you create a few core questions. Um, I personally use surveys frequently throughout a planning process because it lets me gather information and in people's thinking before we ever come in a room. There's focus groups. Focus groups um, in today's world, we can do those online, um, but they are opportunities for people to come together, discuss a point or a condition or to give you ideas or brainstorm. I mean, there's a number of uh, ways to engage with focus groups but they are external folks who can give you ideas and they can be done online very cost efficiently and engaged. So, and then there's an organizational assessment. Many organizations um, kind of stay away from doing an org assess because it can point to areas of strength, which is great, or areas that could be critical that you address. I like organizational assessments if we remember that they're not judgments about this, about us, but they're really tools that can be much more objective than our own opinions in saying, here's where you are, here's what that means, and here's some considerations as you're planning. You can also interview industry partners or experts. Oftentimes you'll hear people refer to these as being key expert interviews, but they're basically where you have a series of things you're trying to understand and you interview people you believe have information that could guide you. Now, in past, I've done interviews with funders, organizational funders, um, to get their opinions about that organization or the sector in general and their recommendations. Because while they may not be in the planning meetings themselves, they will often have recommendations that if nothing else tell you the direction they would recommend for the organization, but also collectively when you synthesize the information, you'll get a sense of what that group of people think. And if they are some of your funders, you need to know that, right? And then there's the on, um, the reliable public sources of data. So this might be reports, university reports, but it can also be data from health, public health sites. You know, so you think about the CDC and there are reports like um, from children's data, depending on the state, your state may have epidemiological data that you can pull. I know our state does. And then there are nonprofit resources who synthesize data and, and will do reports, but there are external sources of data. So you're not having to create data from everything yourself. And then there are your internal records and reports. So how are you doing with your financing? What's, what's on the horizon coming? How are you doing um, achieving the results you've already promised? How's your cash flow? All of that's internal information that's available to you. Um, for planning at different stages of planning. So I bring that up, not because you have to have all of it, but those are just some of the opportunities. But when it comes to gathering data for your strategic plan, it's really important to decide what data you need and then think about the best way to collect it and how to present it for discussion and decision-making. So I'm gonna chunk this down and, and give you an example of how I just did this this week with a client that I'm working with. So this is a long-term planning process. They're actually doing a countywide plan. 
they all represent different organizations. These are leaders from those organizations. So picture this, you are a leader, you're in this collaborative thing and you are needing to come up with a collective plan for how you're going to accomplish something together. And there is an objective for their work, but how they go about it and how they value each piece of it is gonna be unique to them. So one of the first things that I have folks do is to try and understand that. I wanna know what they believe the mission of their work is, what their collective vision is, what values they think must be in place for an, a collaboration or a collective group to succeed. And then just before we even get into goal setting or priority setting, I wanna know what their current thinking is because we're gonna get a lot more data. So I asked the questions and I focused this first survey because I, I had one hour to meet with them on this particular topic. And part of that hour was used for different work. So I had probably 40 minutes to have them make decisions on these. And it was ambitious. I was hoping at the end of 40 minutes, they would have agreed upon a mission statement for their work, a vision statement for their work, and a collection of values, both for how they wanted to show up and then what they would expect from future partners. And I wanted to see what their thinking was today about what the goals and priorities for their success might be. So they all completed a survey, which in and of itself was remarkable because oftentimes you don't get 100%. So that meant the survey was simple to fill out, didn't take them too much time because they were doing it over the holidays. And then we synthesized the results so that I could share back with them. But before I went on the call, I actually made myself pretend I was one of them and look at those results that had been synthesized and said to myself, okay, if you had to look and pull from everybody's ideas here about what the values were, what might they be? So I went through and highlighted themes, even from different questions. And I said, okay, I think this is the laundry list of values. And I said, okay, but what is the vision? What is the future they're gonna create? I did the same thing. I thought, okay, I think this might be the future they're talking about. And I did the same for the mission. What is the mission of this group based on what they told me? So this wasn't my assumption of what the mission was. This was their telling me in separate surveys what they thought it was. So I put together a draft of each of those things so that when we were on the call, they could make decisions. And they had full permission to say, we hate it, we don't wanna do any of it, but we want X on all of it. Now, lucky for me, I was pretty close on the mission and the vision, partly because I used their language and their words, so it resonated back to them, but they really refined the values. They were able to make them very concrete, not just aspirational words, but things that they could explain to one another what they meant and say, yes, we act in that way. I also made a grid of what I think their uh, goals or objectives are based on those things. And they looked at that and that all fit. So we got through that in a record amount of time with a high agreement level, but partly because they had prepped for the work first and I had done a little lifting as a facilitator ahead of time to make it easier on them. So that's part of the value of getting data first and being able to bring it to a meeting for decision-making. So I wanna talk now 
little less detail about effective agenda design. And this really is about intentional design for results. So we've talked about data and getting information to bring and use in planning. This is really about structuring your meetings with intentionality so that you get results for that meeting. Now, in that meeting I just described to you, I had two outcomes I really wanted to get. And then I had my bonus outcomes. If we could do A, that was success. If we could do A plus B or part of B, that was even better. We actually got A and B done. But I knew before the meeting what the result was, the intended result was, and that was communicated to everybody in the meeting and before the meeting. So let's talk about getting an effective agenda design, being intentional. It really means that you're having a results-oriented agenda for every planning session you do, whether it's one hour, three hours, a retreat, it doesn't matter, you need to be explicit in what you expect each thing to accomplish and how you're gonna use the information you get. And that really takes thinking upfront. So when you are going to plan an, a meeting, an agenda for any type of meeting, you wanna identify your overall goal. You have to know your why. Why are you holding this meeting? What is your overall goal that you hope to achieve? And do you have data about that information that you can share? And would you be able to assess whether you accomplished the meeting objectives? You wanna be really clear. And what can you promise folks that if they attend, they will get done? Because when you aren't confident enough to make a promise like, hey, if you come to this meeting, we'll make decisions on these topics, you might not be clear enough and ready to convene a group of people. You wanna remember that everybody's busy. They wanna use their time wise. And if you're clear, it helps them be clear. So then when we think about our overall goal, we have that, we know what we want to accomplish it by the end of the meeting. You wanna think in bite-sized, realistic topic size pieces then now for your agenda. And every agenda topic, should lead towards that bigger goal. Remember you are planning and people need the right amount of time to discuss and make decisions in a planning meeting. So each agenda topic should have a specific result. So think about you had a result that you were looking for for your overall meeting. Now you wanna think about it smaller. When we talk about X, what's the purpose of that? Sometimes the purpose is just to do some brainstorming but there may be a purpose where you're needing to make a decision. My purpose for the agenda item on the mission, vision, and values was to get them to at least sign off on a draft version that we could work with over the next six to 10 months to make sure that all of their work is in alignment because if it's not, then we need to adjust the assumptions that we had at the beginning. So then when you have those agenda topic items and you have your objective for each topic, you wanna to double check it and say, can we actually measure, did we do that? And that's a yes or no question. Did we actually accomplish that? Yes or no. If the answer is no, you're gonna to wanna to think about how you can refine it. Did you not have enough time? Weren't you prepared? You know, there's a number of things to think about, but try and make your agenda topics fit the time you have and 
achieve the result you've designed because it will really help participants want to come back. The next thing that you want to do, and I always want to do this towards the end to double check it, is to organize your agenda. So you want to stay focused in order of importance. If it's absolutely essential that you accomplish one thing in your meeting, right after you kick off the meeting, you want to start working on that topic. Because if you run out of time, you don't want to run out of time on your most important items or um, one item if it's that big. And set a time frame for the agenda item. I know it's really frustrating for folks when they thought they were going to be at a 45-minute meeting and now you're into it an hour and a half and you haven't accomplished anything. There's frustration. So you want to set a time frame for each item and stick to it to the degree possible. If you're going to run over, call it out and ask people if they're ready to move on to the next topic or make a plan for how you're going to come back to it. And then identify how you're going to facilitate that discussion, who will lead the discussion. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more next. Um, and then that's the final piece on organizing your agenda. Now, that's your agenda design. But as important as the design, you want to set your participants up to be really successful. And that means you want to share your agenda and some tips for helping them come into the room ready. It's really important to provide ways for each member to come prepared for the meeting ahead of time. Not everybody is a quick thinker in the moment. You want them to read the materials, have a sense of how you're going to discuss this. So you wanna prepare an overview of the decision or discussions that you will be having during the meeting um, and then offer ways that they can contribute. So for instance, it's not uncommon that folks will tell me at the last minute, I can't be there live. I often will say, can you send me your thoughts about the questions on the agenda? And I'll walk through those with them. If I have that information ahead of time, when we are discussing that item, I can offer that up to the group and say, so-and-so also wanted to add this. And then the one thing you would think everybody would do, but it's not common, is you get that agenda in everybody's hands in advance of the session and at least a few days, but if possible, a week and send reminders out as you go. Now, so that's the first two steps in it. Let's talk about the stage to engage. And this is thinking through your facilitation approach and your team roles. So we've already talked about data. We've talked about your agenda design. So you have kind of a framework for how the meeting's going to go. You have the information that you're going to share in the meeting. This is about how will you make sure that people are engaged. And it's difficult to have a really productive meeting if the only person talking in the meeting is the facilitator. The facilitator actually should be speaking less. And I really love this um, quote from Jay Means, T. Adams, and M. Spivey. Meeting facilitation is a structured way to help more people reach common understandings and solve problems. It is a skill, a process, and an art. So do not expect that your first meeting or meetings are gonna be perfect, but you wanna keep building the skill, creating processes, and refining them as part of art 
and science. So there's just a couple things we'll talk about in this piece because we've had a lot of information already. One of the things for making sure folks are engaged is giving them the rules, right? So what are the structure and the norms for how you will do your meetings? So it's always great to start by sharing the meeting ground rules. How will you make decisions together as a group? How will you address time limits? And these are things you can actually do in one of your first meetings and let your meeting participants make these decisions. Then your job is to document their decisions and follow them. You want to assign meeting roles. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, it's always great when you think about a norm or a practice is to begin with a fun activity. And this can be really simple. Sometimes I will ask a kind of a crazy question that's off topic. I once started a meeting and just said, tell me the most interesting thing someone has asked you in the last week. And boy, did we get a great list of questions, which got people's mind kind of in this you know, creative place. But if you have more time, you can create games that help board members and staff know each other. I love to do this game of who, who said this or who is this, where I'll create a, um, it's like a bingo board and only I have all the information, but it'll be two or three questions. And then I'll randomly pull them out there and see if they can guess who the, who the person is who answers that. And at the end of the meeting, the person who has the best score depending on how you're scoring, gets a prize. Um, so it, it can be really simple. I think the cost of that was a piece of paper and some thinking up front. Um, and then really important for structure and norms is modeling active listening and a curiosity perspective. So it's important for folks to know that if they're gonna make decisions together, they want to be listening to one another and be curious, not to look for places where they disagree, but when they don't quite understand or there is a disagreement to be curious about, do they understand? And what is that person's perspective? Often, and frankly, pretty often, it's the person saying something similar. They're just using different language and coming at it a little differently. So you want to model active listening and maintaining a curiosity perspective. From a facilitation place, you wanna make sure that the notes you are taking are visible. So if you're physically in a room with a group, you can use a whiteboard, you can use flip charts, but you wanna make sure it's visible, written big enough that everybody can read it and see. It's also a way for them to check that what you're writing is what they're saying and that you understand it. If you're online, you can do the same thing. You can take notes on a whiteboard online or in a document where you're documenting the high level comments. The main thing to remember is the facilitator or the person documenting needs to document what was said, not necessarily word for word, but the intent needs to be honest and no bias or preference of the facilitator or documenter needs to come in. So no editing and changing it up. And then you want to make sure you test your understanding, especially if you're facilitating a discussion or documenting, you wanna make sure that what you are saying or repeating or moving forward is what was meant. And finally, under the norms, I really recommend that you think through ways to make sure 
everyone's voice is included. Now you're gonna have folks who are less comfortable speaking up in a meeting. So you wanna think about ways to include their voice that doesn't necessarily mean they have to speak it out, but they maybe they write it down or share it on a, you know, there's a number of facilitation tips, but there's a lot of ways to make sure you hear everyone's voice. So take advantage of that. So that's the structured norms. Um, structure and norms for your meeting is making sure that you're setting the stage. The other thing that is absolutely essential is to lift others up. So you already have a meeting agenda. You know what specific objectives you want to accomplish for each topic. And you know who besides you can help facilitate and lead discussions and activities. So maybe you're not clear on who that is yet. If you are part of the stress-free strategic planning course, you know that's one of the topics we talk about first is who's your planning team. Um, and that's a great way to, to start because you've already got five or six people, you've got your eye on who have already stepped up in leadership roles. But it's also a great time to think about people who often get overlooked. So these aren't huge roles you have to have. Some of the roles I love to put people in are timekeeper. So maybe we've created an agenda and we've assigned times, but it's really easy to go over those times. And if you give someone the authority and the responsibility of keeping time, they can do it. They can say, you've got 10 minutes left on this topic. Um, so that's a, a really important role. There's the note taker, someone who's gonna document. So you have a record of what you're doing. There's the person who's facilitating or leading an activity or a discussion. So that's a role. You also can have someone who's a rules keeper. There's always someone who loves to, to check the rules. So remember, we talked about structure and norms. The group has group norms. So when those norms get violated or ignored or people don't remember them, the rules keeper calls it out, calls it out in a respective um, in a respectful way, but reminds people that there is a, you know, there's a process that everyone's agreed to and um, gets folks back on that track. One of my favorite roles to have is someone who's a break or stretch monitor. I am notorious for getting into meetings and we're making a lot of progress. And honestly, I can go three and four hours and forget people need to break, take a stretch, walk around, have a conversation. And I love having a break or stretch monitor. And then there's also topic facilitators. Um, and I will say that a process evaluator and an innovator are great add-ons. For instance, um, someone who's watching how this meeting structure worked and they're just taking notes. They're saying, when this happened, we got really great engagement, the conversations went well. And so that when you debrief the meeting later, they can come back and say, here's what I noticed went really great. Here's some suggestions from the parts where we kind of didn't do as well, or we may have struggled, but that's a great role for someone to have as a process evaluator and innovator. Whatever roles you assign, you need to communicate that they come with the authority to carry them out. Let folks know that you'll help them prepare for their roles at each session, and you'll check in with them to make sure they feel ready, even if they feel nervous, that they're ready, they're clear on what their roles are. And it's super, super important 
to promise and deliver that during the meeting, you will support them in their roles. You've got to give them permission to seek ideas and learning outside your normal practices. If you do that, you're going to be surprised by the great ideas that they can come up with and bring into your organization. And you'll find that the energy that they generate makes other people want to be involved even more in the meeting sessions. So again, if you have a planning team in place, you already have a handful of people that you can tap for their talents, but don't overlook folks who have specific roles or talents. Look to your volunteers or your board members and often they get um, underutilized or undervalued. And then um, I will give you an example though of when you think about people's unique skills, how it actually can add to a meeting. So. This has been a few years back. I was doing strategic planning with a group who I'd done it with a number of times. Their community changed, it's countywide. And, you know, they have new board, governing board folks. And this is a new person who came on. He wasn't somebody who necessarily applied, but he was there because he was in a public office that needed a representation in this group. And the executive director took me aside and said, I need you to know something about Fred. Fred can derail a meeting. So she started telling me, I says, tell me a little bit more. How does he do that? And she goes, well, he will pick stuff apart. You know, like we're already on track for something. And then he'll say, he just, he just doesn't get it. And he's not sure it'll work. And yet we know it works because we've been doing it. And I said, so he's critical. Yeah, I'd say he's critical. And when he's critical, he throws us off because we start explaining. I said, okay, cool. So I go over to Fred, by the way, not his real name. And um, I introduced myself and I said, Fred, I have a favor to ask of you. I hear that you have a really good critical thinking mind. And he busted up laughing. He said, uh-huh, I guess that's not exactly the way they described me to you. And I said, well, that's what I took away from it. But I actually do want to ask if you can do something for me today, because these guys have worked together for some time and they're not going to be able to do it for themselves. So I requested that when there's a discussion that he kind of hold off on his comments until he kind of heard what other people were saying so that he could come in and identify the areas where he heard agreement and also some areas where he thought the conversation didn't go deep enough, that they might have overlooked something um, which would or could potentially produce um, risk or just not the results they were after. And at the end of the meeting, people really valued Fred's input because he pointed out things that they were so used to seeing, they no longer saw them anymore. You know, the thing is you walk by something so many times it just doesn't show up. Well, Fred said, hey, did you notice that over there? And then they just resolve things. And I've done that with new staff members and new board members who often will be reluctant to um, speak up because they feel, well, I don't know enough information. I'm just new here. The old I'm just new here thing. That's a great place to be because they're going to hear things that may be confusing. And if they're confusing to someone who's new, and they're confusing, not because they didn't read the materials, but because they're truly confused, then they're, it's not clear enough to go into a plan yet. So you love those kinds of people 
give them the job of helping clarify. So anyway, we've covered a ton of information in this episode, and I just want to bring it back. We talked about data and the important ways to capture basic data, surveys, focus groups, key informant interviews, external data, those kinds of things. But as important as capturing it is synthesizing it and getting it back to people before the meeting. Not all of the data, just the data they need to make decisions in the next meeting. We talked about creating an intentional planning session design, including an agenda with timeframes and objectives, both for the meeting itself and for each topic. And we've talked about engaging facilitation through using multiple people in different roles to create the outcomes that you've stated in your agenda. So I hope that's been helpful. Next week, we're going to cover implementing and documenting your planning sessions. So um, I want to thank you for listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast. We have, this is um, the third in the series of four on strategic planning for this month. And we're going to come back next time, talk, like I said, about implementing and documenting. But in the meantime, if you want strategic planning coaching or support support for me directly, or you just have a question, schedule a complimentary one-time session with me. And you can do that at um, calendly.com forward slash Sarah Box forward slash coaching hyphen session. And we'll put that in the show notes. And with that, I just want to again, thank you. And we appreciate you walking alongside us in this journey of living without labels or limits. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.